and welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Royer. Hey, Liz. Hi, Kat. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? I am good, thanks. We are super excited tonight to be talking with Scott Lockmiller. Uh, and welcoming him to the show today. I met Scott a couple months ago at a party that was celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Stephen Foskett's Tech Field Day. And after speaking with Scott for just a few minutes, I knew I wanted to invite him to be a guest on Real Job Talk to talk about his career journey, which is pretty interesting, and also his leadership philosophy, which really struck me. Again, we only talked for a few minutes, but I I really liked what he had to say. Uh, Scott is the founder and chief product officer at Scale Computing. Welcome, Scott. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Feel free to introduce yourself to our <laughs> listeners. Okay, so yeah, like you said, um, I'm, my name is Scott Lofmiller. I'm uh, the uh, Chief Product Officer and, at Scale Computing, one of the founders, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my third venture-funded startup. Um, it's probably the ninth startup overall. Had a oh, few wow. that didn't go, yeah, didn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Um, or did go somewhere, but no uh, <laughs> with funding and that sort of thing. Yeah, I've been doing engineering management basically the whole time. Uh, my first startup was right before I graduated college. Ran engineering through uh, you know, startup, a little bit of pivot, uh, raising funding, dot-com bubble all the way up, all the way back down, wow. and uh, going out of business and then doing it all over again because it was way too much fun. And you worked with some of the same people, didn't you? Yeah. So the the founding team, uh, there's a core founding team of three of us uh, that have started all of the companies that we've done together. And then there's another five, four or five people that kind of come in and out and have done various versions of you know those founding teams over the course. Awesome. Well, I've, I've known one of your co-founders for years, Jason Collier. So it was nice to meet you a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. Jason Jason was a very early employee at our first startup, um, was on the founding team of the second venture-funded startup, some of the middle ones, and then he was a founder or one of the co-founders at Scale as well. Well, awesome. So when we first met, you one of the things that struck me the most, you told me that... So Scale's been in business for what, 12 years? 12 years. Okay. And so you have some folks on your team that were that were there near the beginning, right? Yeah, so we have um, we have actually have several people who were part of you know kind of the first pre-funding sort of uh, employee group, um, and so they've you know they've stuck with us for the whole time. Uh, but it's it's one of the things I think uh, it's really apparent at scale because we've been going for so long. But even at the other companies, we have a very strong retention rate uh, with people who work with us. Um, And it's one of those things that uh, I find really, I'm very passionate about retention and passionate about finding good people and keeping good people and those kinds of things. And so when you can look back across 12 years and say, you know, we've got people who have been here for 11, 10, nine years and six years, I think we've had three people leave that we didn't want to leave over the last five years. And that's on my team of like 30. Wow. So like I said, it's a passion for me. It's, a, it's something I think about a lot. I spend a lot of time worrying about, <laughs> you know, what people are doing, what the job market's like, what the salary, competitive salaries are, making sure people have a a place where they think they're going with their career at scale and that we're paying them, you know, 
a competitive wage and and all those sorts of things. So it's it's and, and the list goes on, right? And on right. and on about what you have to do to keep people. But so I want to go deeper into that go. because like 12, I mean, keeping people for 12 years in Bay Area is right. amazing, right? Was- is like 87 years in other places. <laughs> I know. He had me at that. I was I like, mean, oh, we, we need to talk more. <laughs> I love when I interview the person who's like, I've been here for a year and a half, so I feel like I've learned everything. I'm like, you don't know where the bathroom is after a year and a half. <laughs> so I just, I feel like this is a really incredible accomplishment. Five people. I mean, like your numbers are staggering. So well, talk to us a little bit more about that retention philosophy and and how. Give us yeah, some so, yeah. I mean, some of it's cheating. I'll be honest. Some oh, of it is, yeah, some of it is straight up cheating. Um, you know, one of the, you know, two of the of the very early people at scale, they were technically employees because they weren't on the founding founding team, uh-huh. but were founders at a different company that we started with us, right? Okay. So I mean, okay, they were known are, commodities, right? You knew them, they knew you. Yeah. One of the guys, Chris, who's been at scale for probably ten or eleven years, I went to college with. Uh, he's joined every company that we ever started uh, that, that got enough funding to pay him. You know, so those and you know in those early days when the team's five six people, you you really develop a really strong bond. Uh, yep. Those people obviously have pretty significant amount of stock options, um, which we've refreshed over the years. And and again, like I said, you it's impossible to do it if you don't stay on top of competitive salaries. And one of the things I think you know that happens at a lot of companies is there's sort of this. If you you sort of prove yourself for a, a raise by jumping to somewhere else, and mm-hmm. you know I, I try to avoid that at all costs. I think you know we I just try to stay ahead of the curve. And so you know one of the things cheating flat out, I just pay people well. Um, that's not cheating. That's just a that's a really good comp philosophy. If you want to, <laughs> if you value right. your employees, right? Uh, and it's and it's one of the things that you know I spend a lot of time on it. I spend money on compensation surveys. I spend mm-hmm. time researching compensation surveys, talking to other people. Um, mm. You know, it's one of the questions that I kind of dig into with people who decline an offer from us, which has um, actually been fairly rare recently. Um, and so it's a, you know, I, that piece is a big piece of it, right? If you if you don't feel like you're fairly compensated, of course, you're going to start looking. I think that's just table stakes though, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to get that just to even have the start the conversation. But then, you know, I talked to, I have, a, I have a good friend who um, is a manager at SAP and mm-hmm. she's, uh, she says, well, our policy is that, you know, our engineering staff has to be as a whole on, at the 50th percentile level. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you're going to get 50th percentile talent and you're going yep. to get, you know, people jumping ship when they get, you know, anybody who's, you know, slightly above 50th percentile talent is going to find a better offer and, and jump ship, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my target's 75th percentile um, for the middle of the road. And, you know, I kind of have a, a range where I do, you know, when you when you move into a new position, you're sort of at the bottom of the range and you move you give through them room and, to grow. Yeah. and give them room to grow and you can go past 75th percentile. And then when you're, you know, pushing 85, 90, it's probably time for, uh, it's probably time for a promotion. Mm-hmm. And you know that kind of a thing. So I mean, especially for a startup, right? We don't have this huge HR function that does all the stuff for you. I do it, um, mm-hmm. but also I think you know I'm invested in it and committed to it, and and I think about it a lot. And so I think probably I've got a better understanding of my needs for my team than somebody in an HR department that's just not really thinking about 
engineering. Working as closely with the business, sure. Right, and the engineering consequences of someone leaving. I mean, I think that's what I think a lot of people just kind of accept that, well, people are going to leave and that's the way it is. And when you really think about the cost to, one, hire somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably looking at 20 to 30% of their yearly salary to get them on board. For, for somebody like us who's doing infrastructure, it's really deep, you know, really interesting, really challenging technologies. You're looking at six months of ramp before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're really, they know where everything is and, you know, where all the bodies are buried and, <laughs> you know, cause no, can, yeah. right. Cause no code base is as clean and perfect as you want it to be. So, you know, there's always land, landmines and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, getting all that up to speed, getting the process and, um, and, you know, kind of getting in with the team. So, you know, you're looking at, so now you've got, you know, now you're looking at, well, you basically, for the first year, you've spent almost two X their salary just to get them there and have six months of production. And and you just really start to think about, and then when they walk out the door, they walk out with all this knowledge, right? Yep. And so mm-hmm. you have to think about the cost of that. And so when you've put all those things together, you know, retention to me is like one of the easiest ways to make the business efficient. Right. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, make the engineering team efficient by keeping people around for a long time. And the, the other thing is, this doesn't apply. I think you know, in all aspects, right? If if you're a consulting company building websites, right, you don't need somebody with 15 years of experience to work on the hot data path, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have that person, right? We need a couple mm-hmm. of few of those people, right? <laughs> right. And so, so you have to have a career path that's. Mm-hmm just technical, right? Like they can't manage Mm -hmm. people. They need to be actually writing code, building stuff, right? Otherwise you don't, yeah. yeah. Strong independent contributors, yeah. Right. And so, and again, that's another thing, right? You have to, to, to do this sort of thing. You, you can't, you can't keep somebody around for 10 years if there's no, and they, if they want to be an individual contributor, which we need, Mm-hmm. if there's no place for them to go, <laughs> right. right? If it's like, well, you eventually got to manage people. No, I don't want to do that. And, you know, and we have people on our team, obviously, that, that have no interest in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very strong technically. They're at the top of their game. They're getting better all the time. And we, you know, we need them. And they're super valuable, right? Whether they're ma- whether they're managing or not, right? It's right, they're extremely, kind of... val- they're extremely yeah. valuable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in our, you know, in our, system, right? The, those those people can make more than people on the management track with sure. the same, you know, mm-hmm. same level of experience and yeah. time. So it, that's our, you know, that, that's a big piece of it too, right? Is they see this career path that actually matches their desire, right? And I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm totally wrong, but that you're giving them bigger, bigger and bigger projects and more scope and more responsibility. Just because they don't have people underneath them doesn't mean you aren't thinking about, okay, how am I going to keep them challenged and make sure they don't get bored and all of those things. So it's giving them the money as they move up, even if they don't have people, but you're also giving them more and more responsibility and challenge. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think um, is really interesting that, that I've had several people kind of on this path sort of get as they got to this, you know, whatever you would call it, principal engineer level Mm -hmm. is that their decisions about design, it's more than just the design of making the product work, right? It's how can we design something so that this piece, these complicated things that we need to do can be simple for more junior engineers to do. And so 
all this talk about leverage that you get as being a manager, they're leveraging way more, right? Yeah. Because as a manager, I mean, the only manager that's managing all the engineers is the VP, or, you know, the director of VP of engineering, right? But now we've got two or three principal engineers who are causing leverage to happen for all the engineers on the team too, mm-hmm. right? And so that's way more effective than you know, a team lead or something like that, which they, you know, could go down that path and then eventually get to director of engineering. But now we've got a team and we really do have a team of people that's like really thinking about how we get more leverage out of the whole team. And it's from management side, process side, technical side, you know, tools, that sorts of those sorts of thinking. And those people all talk and sit down and think about things as a team to make the whole team better. And that's it's awesome. It's really fun and cool too. So that's all, you know, and that's part of the, the attraction to stay, right? Is because you get this sort of leverage of like, oh, I can make everybody better. And you like everybody on your team. And, you know, it just it turns into, it's a very virtuous circle that you get into. You're making our HR hearts happy because <laughs> the things that you're saying, they're logical. And they, I mean, turnover is so expensive on all fronts, like you said. And you know, good HR leaders are thinking about it, but if they don't have the buy-in from the business, then they can't get anywhere. And as a business leader, you do need to be thinking about all these things and how, what am I doing to make sure I retain my team? And there are different levers. There's comp, there's challengers, all these different things. And because that's what keeps you up at night is why you're able to meet your people where they are. Right. You know, it's it's one of those things. And I will say, like, you know, we've lost, we've, you know, over the course, we've obviously lost some really, really good people. In some ways, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then in other ways, it's way worse than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, it's just one of those things, like, I'm just like, we've got to just, you know, we've got to keep people interested. You have to keep people challenged. You have to mm-hmm. find ways to, you know, give them some variety. Um, you know, one of the other things that we do on the engineering team, which I think is really important is there's a lot of autonomy in choosing what you work on. So, you know, if you've, if you've been working on an area of the code for a really long time and now you're bored of it, not even a problem. Like, if you want to do something else, like done, totally, totally fine. And there's exceptions when you're like, yeah, but you're not done with that and we need you to finish. But, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of buy into that whole, and I can't remember it. I think it's the... Uh, Daniel Pink, the Daniel Pink, the thing of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of really buy into those three. That that a sort of a philosophy of intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, make the autonomy and mastery really available to the people on the team, and then the purpose is, you know, people have to find their own purpose. And you know, we we have a purpose that we're doing, and, and you know, we're doing at scale. And I think it's really important to me. Some people on the team. Uh, we were just we just had a thing today where one of the guys on the team has spent a lot of time working on sort of a development track for people from support to work their way through QA and into the engineering team. We've had a couple of people do that, and they've been super successful. It's been fantastic, uh, and and that's a big recruiting element for the support team, which is hard a hard place to recruit. It's a big retention element in the mm-hmm. support team and, and the QA team. And so you know he's finding his purpose in you know helping other people on the team and you know whatever. There's so I you know I try awesome. to I try to encourage it, but I you can't hand people purpose, right? You have no. to say here's here's what we have, and if something here works for you, fantastic. Um, and if not, then that's that. But. One of the things that just is so simple that you said when we met a couple months ago, you said, I hire smart people and I let them go. Like you, you kind of let them do their thing. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? 
-hmm. Yeah. So there's always this balance, right, of giving people enough structure so they're working on the right things, but enough autonomy and enough Mm -hmm. leeway to feel like they're in charge of what they're doing and and they are, right? I mean, this is the thing. I'm hiring smart people so that they can make Mm -hmm. good decisions, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not hiring them so I can tell them what to do. That's, I mean, you don't have to have smart people for that. (laughs) That's sort of the philosophy and it kind of goes back to that autonomy thing is we work really hard. And the other thing we do is, you know, just, and this goes back to sort of the the salary thing is just, you know, we hire fewer, better people. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of our philosophy. There's a sort of a network effect, right? As, as, as systems or, or groups get bigger, they get less efficient. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of it is just, you know, pay for and hire smart people and and just have less of them and let them be more productive, which I, you know, feels great too. Right? When you're, that's awesome. When you're killing it, right? Like that's the team. Like they're just crushing it every day. It's like, that feels good, right? So... Well, it's a fun place to be when there's that kind of synergy on a team. I mean, right. both Liz and I have done a fair amount of work with startups and the ones that are good, you know, it's it's so energizing to be to be there, right? right? right. Because the right. team is clear on the vision, they're clear on the mission and they're just going, right? Mm-hmm. And right. and when they're smart, it sure helps with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to drill a little bit down with you on hiring. So maybe you can tell us about a story of someone who thought, you know, who you might've thought was a good fit. I'm sure you have your own methodology on how right. you decipher fit. Um, <laughs> you know, do you have any kind of secret questions? I don't want, I don't yeah, want to give away well, all your so, secrets. No, but. no, no. Well, we do something fairly unique. Um, and I, it sort of grew over the years. One of my favorite questions to ask was tell me about a project that you enjoyed working on. And kind of let's do a deep dive on it. Like, you know, really mm-hmm. get into the nitty gritty and tell me how it works and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And of course, I would spring this on them during the interview. And everybody's like, well, they spend five minutes hemming and hawing and trying to figure remember a, a particular one. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I was I was at a I was at a barbecue and met a buddy who runs technology software engineering at a bio lab. And he's mm-hmm. like, we totally stole what the scientists do they they come in and they present their thesis right they present their phd thesis sure and he's like so we just started doing that with the tech people and i was like oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. and so i was like send me the deck and so he sends me the deck and so i have i give people a deck like here here's your presentation like you don't have to really think about it just fill this out if you want or go crazy or you know a new grads usually have like their senior project presentation right senior project presentation and so it flips the script on it. So, you know, instead instead of being in a situation where you feel like you're on the defensive, right? You're trying to, you don't know what question's coming. Like you get this moment and we do it right at the beginning. It's the first thing. Well, we go to lunch first and try to get them relaxed. And then they present and they present to the whole team. And I've had a few people tell me like, I'm not comfortable doing that. And we have them present to a smaller group. Surprisingly rare. I thought it was going to be more often. But they present to the whole team and it, it's subject matter they're experts on, right? You know, we get lots of good questions and they answer the questions and you really get a feel for their ability to communicate about technical things, their ability to think through. One of the things is like talk about design decisions, talk about engineering trade-offs you had to make and why you made these things. And so, you know, going through that discussion is really fun and interesting. And so there, I will say there have been people who knocked out all the park and then can't code. <laughs> but usually, you know, if you can get those two things, you're kind of, you're kind of in. I try to stay away from the gotcha questions or the white, I mean, I think we do a little bit of whiteboard sort of design work and, and that kind of thing. But uh, one of the things I, I always 
I have to, I, I give this speech to every candidate. This is not show up and try to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. This is kind of like dating. Like we need to get together and figure out if this is going to be a good match. Yeah. Right. And the last thing we want to do is pretend like we're something we're not, and then have the candidate show up on their first week and be like, what, this is not what I signed up for. Like we want to present ourselves as truthful as possible. So when people are excited about it, they show up and go like, yeah, okay, this is what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we, you know, it's the, we don't have anything to hide. We have, I mean, there are certainly people who shouldn't, who are really smart and would be really great and would hate working there. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it's gotta be a good fit. Right. right, and, right. and being transparent about who you are is a service to both the, you know, to both the company and the candidate. Right. <laughs> right. In right? both directions. Right. I mean, it's one of the things, so like, you know, our, one of my favorite things to kind of contrast is Facebook has this, you know, move fast and break things in their engineering mm-hmm. team. Right. Well, we are infrastructure. We don't move fast and we don't break anything, right? We move <laughs> slow and we do it right. And we build really, really solid, really awesome things. Takes a little bit longer, but it's perfect. As perfect as software gets. And, um, you know, we write a lot of tests and we write a lot of unit tests and system tests. And, you know, and it's a big deal that it's, that the work is done well and it's done right. And there's lots of process in place to catch problems and, and all that kind of thing. And if you're, uh, I want to move fast and break things, you're going to hate it. So mm-hmm. don't work, don't work at scale. That's go work at Facebook or something like that's mm-hmm. And that we need all those things, right? We need all those people doing all those different things. But if you want to build something that, you know, ships and doesn't have bugs and works and customers talk about how amazing it is that it works perfectly and they never have to touch it. And, and that does it for you. Then yeah, this is a good place for you. So um, I want to go back to your presentation. Yeah. And so two, a bunch of questions actually, but first <laughs> you said that they um, present to everyone. I mean, yes. there's like a hundred people at your company. So no, I present to the entire, mean? they present to the entire engineering team. Okay. Um, specifically all the engineering team in San Francisco. So there's, there's about 15 ish people okay. in person. Plus there's probably another 10 ish five to 10 on the phone, depending on who, who shows up. And I, I think they've just, they may have said they're going to stop doing the phone because that had been intimidating some people. So we might just be the people in San Francisco, but yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, I mean, it's not a small group by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, now the way we, our San Francisco office is actually pretty cool. And so it's sort of a living room. So there's like couches and people are just kind of chilling out on the couches. So it's not like you're in a like, classroom mm-hmm. giving a, a lecture or anything, but um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty relaxed. So now has this person been like pre-screened? Have they talked to people before? Like how much have yeah. they gone through this, before? This is the final, that's lecture. the final interview. The so final. this is, they've done, you know, probably online coding tests. They've done technical phone screening. They've done kind of a cultural phone screening. So, you know, they've made it past several steps. So we're not going to ask somebody to do that. That means that it's a lot of work, right? To ask that's somebody final to put, step. Yeah, yeah, to put that in, to, to build a presentation, right? So... Um, and I usually do, um, do a call with them a couple of days before mm-hmm. and talk through, we, we, I found over the years, like that there are, there are different tricks and there's things that go well and things that don't, um, to no fault of the, the candidate. Um, if you do like something very, like a really big project and you just go like skin deep across the whole thing, that doesn't, that people just don't find that very interesting. So if you have like one thing and can go real narrow and deep like that that gets people asking questions and 
and gets it more interactive. So that's that's one of the things I tell people to do. And then obviously we have to have conversation about, you know, you can't tell about talk about anything that's confidential with, you know, place you're mm-hmm. working and, you know, that kind of stuff. So we have to, you know, kind of talk through that. And sometimes I'm able to help them, um, you know, either figure out what parts they shouldn't talk about or, um, but we, luckily we've had a lot of, I mean, a lot of people have personal projects um, and they love talking about the personal projects. And that's the best thing because people love, when they're in there and they're excited about it yep. and that goes over really well. Um, and I love, you know, people who just get excited about technology and code yeah. and building stuff, you know? So I love that you, you know, even before you bring them in, you've kind of already gone into kind of a coaching mentoring role with them mm-hmm. and have yeah. probably been able to, you know, through that conversation alone, you probably learn something about them. So it's, it's a much more personal kind of process than, than most recruiting process that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm really trying to find the real person, right? I I don't want to trick them, right? Oh, we got, we got you on that question. Like, that's just the dumbest thing. Too much game, too much game. (laughs) But whatever. I mean, if it works for whatever, yeah. You're you're clear on your philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, my job is to help them present themselves as best as possible. As as real as real and best as possible, right? And we want to. It's an interview. We want to show up to your best self, but you, your real best self, right? Not mm-hmm. a fake one, right? But the, but by, with the best by doing that best. call, that call that you do with them, you as Kat said, you're in coach mode, but you're also if they're nervous or like, oh, should I do this? Should I not? Like they're given a platform to talk that through, yeah. so that they don't go in nervous about not be telling company secrets, whatever it is. Right, right. Also, you can see how anxious they are. Like if they have Mm -hmm. a billion questions and they're freaking out and like, oh, (laughs) this is what this person's like when they're given something new. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And what I've done is, you know, I mean, first thing I say is like, this is not a judgment of your presentation skills. Right. No. We're not hiring you for your presentation skills. So so don't worry about that. Um, and I will say in, in all the ones that we've done, which, you know, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, we've been doing one a week ish for two years. So, you know, it's probably 70. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be longer than two years. So a bunch. Done a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I've only had, I, I've had a couple people and I asked, I'm like, Hey, are you, I mean, how are you feeling about it? And I've had a couple of people say they're nervous. Most people say like, I'm actually really excited. I feel like I get to show up and talk about something that I know that I'm excited about. Like this feels really good. And like all of the exit stuff, like everybody's like, that was my favorite part or Mm -hmm. it was one of their favorite parts. The first person I was like, okay, you're not, you're not going to believe what I'm going to do to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, over the years I've gotten like, oh, this is, it's fine. I've had one person ask to not do it. Um, And I was like, that's not a problem. You can do it sitting down around a table and we'll throw the, slides up on the screen and you can just talk to like three or four of us. Um, you, you can do it side by side with me and we'll just do it that way. Like whatever works for you. He, he bailed on the whole interview. Like he just, uh, he, mm-hmm. he called me like an hour before. He's like, I can't do it. Great. <laughs> like, so you know what? He's not a fit for the company culture and right. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Self-selection's fine. But tell us about the feedback loop after like, so they present to 25 people. Right. Then Tell me about the decision process internally. You know, you don't have to give away company secrets. What happens then? Yeah. So after that, we do a we do a a few more interviews. Uh, we do. I have a new one that we've been doing that is my new favorite thing. 
I actually take three or four random people off the team and I put them in the room with this person. And, and I warn them, I also warn them ahead of time the day before. I'm like, we're going to give you 45 minutes to an hour to interview us. And I prompt them with some questions because some people have a hard time coming up with questions. Mm-hmm. Because what we were running into was basically our success rate. If we give an offer and somebody accepts, like that was going down. And I was like, I, you know, we've got some new people on the team. And there kind of was this shift in our team culture where they sort of started to have this, we're trying to keep out the bad people sort of like philosophy, you know, as opposed to like, I was like, well, you guys, you know, like if they're good, we actually have to sell them. They probably have job offers. And, and, you know, it's like, well, they're engineers and they're not going to sell people. And I was really struggling with all this. And then I was actually talking to somebody uh, uh, in HR and she's like, well, get them to talk about why they work at scale and that sort of thing. And I was like, "Ah, I'm just making an interview. I'm just flipping. And everybody loves it. You would not believe like when that thing is happening, everybody's in there laughing and carrying on. And like, it's like this, like, I'm like, what are they doing in there? They're like, having the best time. And it's like, you know, cause they're in there telling funny stories right. and whatever about whatever's happening and all the stuff that happens at scale. Cause it's a bunch of shenanigans. And it, yeah, so that's been, that's been fantastic. And, you know, and I think again, it's back to this, like, let's, let's try to explain what it's like to be here. And once we did that, like our, our success rate went way up, way, way up. So we've been really happy with that. Well, cause they got to find out what it's like to be there and they got to meet more people and kind of feel right. that culture. Yeah. And I've done, and, and, you know, and I've specifically been like putting newer people in that thing. Right. So not the people that have been here forever and whatever, but like the newer people and, you know, the people that I don't think are going to be. You know, I don't, there's no di- director of engineering, no managers in there. It's just the, the, the people working. So so do you do a cross-section or do you do peers or like, how do you put together that group? Because it sounds like it's thoughtful, not just like random. I mean, it's mostly, just, it's sort of random. Um, it's kind of like whoever, whoever's happened to be free right at that minute to, to go in there. There's some people I know will kind of snowball them and I, I won't put them in there. But other yeah. than that, <laughs> right. I, right. I try to, you know, the people I know that are going to be, you know, the most genuine and that's most everybody, but there's some people that just kind of will get into that mode of like, you know, trying to sell it. I'm like, don't do that. That's not what I mean, but um, it's been pretty fun. It's been, that's been a good one. Cool. Oh, so anyway, yeah, I mean, at the end on the, you know, on the selection, I mean, it is very much, you know, it, it's very much a team decision and it's pretty close to if somebody really has a problem, then, you know, will the whole team will still kind of go with them. Um, I've had a couple where I've kind of had to override mostly new grads. I'm like, you guys, you know, you guys have been interviewing like people with 10 years of experience for the last three, four weeks. And now we've got a new grad and you guys are not changing your bar. So yeah, let's, let's think about it again. And then I make them all go home and then we come back and try again the next day. And (laughs) uh, I think two out of three times I've gotten them to flip on me, but. Mm-hmm. With great well, success, those those two people are amazing. So I was. It is but, a different approach, though. It's a different approach yeah. for someone who is more junior and someone who is more senior. There's there there is a there's a it's a different process. So I I, right. I love that you've got that kind of built into it. Yeah. Cool. So let's flip to like performance and performance measurement and like you know you talked about like I find out what drives people and all of that, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. But that probably takes conversation and investment in 
getting to truly know your people. So talk to us a little bit about performance and performance management and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So we have a, the company has a formal performance review that we do annually, which I dislike. Um, And so we kind of just do it because (laughs) we're supposed to do it. But um, yeah, for, for engineering, we, we sort of have a levels engineering levels. So and we have a bunch of sort of criteria or whatever attributes that we expect every engineer to to perform on. And we sort of rate everybody based on what level they are and whether we think they're performing. And it's just real, it's real simple, like below, at, or above. Mm-hmm. And sort of when somebody's mostly above, then they're ready for an advancement. And when, you know, if somebody's mostly below, then we have to talk about, you know, a PIP or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody's right on, then, you know, that's where, you know, and, and you can see, you know, and, and because the team is so good, right. You can see like, you know, they'll get a promotion and they should be, when they just get a promotion, they should be at maybe like right at, or just below, you know, what, uh, expectations for across all these things. Mm-hmm. And there's no extra, I mean, there's no expectation that anybody can be above at, or above or even at expectation for everything. Cause it's, I've, I think there might be 12 different attributes and, you know, some of it is, you know, some of it is leadership and mentorship and, and some of it's technical and just all these different things. And some people are good at some stuff and some people are good at other stuff. And it's, there's no expectation that you necessarily have to be good at everything. So one of my managers developed this system maybe a year and a half ago, and we've been using it pretty successfully. It's pretty easy to talk through with people. Like, mm-hmm. here's all the things, and here's where we think you are, and you know, and they can say, well, why am I, you know, what would what what is the expectation, or why am I below expectation on this? I think mm-hmm. you're doing a good job, and you can say, well, you know, here's here's what we would expect you to be able to do, and here's why we don't think, and you know, and it gets very detail or you know there's it's very good feedback loop it's very like this is what it is and this is Mm -hmm. what we're expecting and this is what you're not doing or here's an example of where you didn't do that well whatever right and you can have those conversations they're around the things that we think are important because we've listed them and that's what we think we think is important and um yeah so that's how we do that it's it's pretty straightforward it's something we review quarterly and look at promotions and and raises quarterly and um, so we just, I just try, like I said, to stay ahead of the curve for that awesome. <laughs> all the time. That's great. That's so great because yearly in it's pointless, <laughs> pointless. It's uh-huh. like, oh, so I didn't get promoted. So now I have to stay here a year to see if I might get director next year. Forget right. that. Mm-hmm. I'm going somewhere else where they'll right. let me be a director. It, it's way, way it's too, too long. long. It's mm-hmm. too long. Mm-hmm. And we've had, you know, we've had, we just, uh, just had some, one of our, one of our more senior engineers was sort of struggling. Um, you know, we hired him. He's fairly new. We said we hired him. He was sort of struggling. And we, you know, had this, um, you know, kind of went through this thing with him. And, you know, six months later, it was like, oh, well, he's killing it. And, you know, he, he you know, we gave him the, the raise he expected six months ago. And, you know, it's just like, oh, it's all fixed, right? And, you know, it was sort of like, this is what's not working. This is what we need you to do. He did it immediate you know almost immediate feedback like yes that works fantastic and now we're all you know and it's just I, it's just so much better for people to not have to wait a year to send it yeah i think uh you know whenever whenever someone is being surprised at a review it's 
it's not good leadership. Right. <laughs> right. right. That's, you know, the, you're way too late. You're way yeah, too late. Yeah. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit. We have, you know, one of the reasons our listeners listen to this podcast, and many of them are actively job searching. Right. Some of them are at least. And um, <laughs> what advice do you have for folks who are actively job searching? Like, do you have any questions you can suggest to help people figure out if the culture of the company would be a good fit for them or, or any other basic advice where, you know, whatever, wherever you want to go with it? Well, yeah. I mean, basic advice on job searching is tough for me because like I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked for a job since I was in high school, maybe college for an internship or something. But um, so I'm not very, I'm sure I'm terrible at that, but um, I do have, I do have my list. I brought it up because I thought we might cover this. I brought up my list of my prompts for people. When I get, when I say, Hey, you interview us, like here's my uh-huh. list. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it, and it's really like, I do think asking the person that you're interviewing with, like, why do you work here? What's, what, mm-hmm. what do you think it's and you know, like, and it's a personal question, right? Like, what is it about here that, that works for you and why are you here? Um, I think that's one of the best questions because, you know, I, again, if you go back to the very simple thing, right? If you're like looking for something where you can iterate a bunch and try and do a bunch of experiments and break a bunch of stuff and see what happens. And they're like, you know, I like it here because we go slow and we're methodical and we, you know, we write good mm-hmm. code and da da da. And you can go like, oh, oh, this is not the place for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you probably can figure that out otherwise, but you'll see other things too, right? Like, you know, I like that we really, we just push really hard and, you know, we work really long hours and we, we get stuff out the door. And, you know, whereas, you know, something like scale where it's like, well, we, you know, we have, we, we try really hard to have work-life balance and, still be productive while not, you know, working crazy hours. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the other things that works for us for attention is where, you know, we do have very good work life. I mean, we'd never, you can't stay at a place 10 years if you don't have work life balance. So, right. Um, and I, that's true founders as well as, uh, as absolutely. Employees, absolutely. It needs to be sustainable. Right. Right. And that's been one of the things since the beginning, you know, we, when we started the company, I said, you know, I think this is, you know, this one's gonna, this one's gonna run for a minute. You know, we can't just burn ourselves out. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, developing processes and culture that's sustainable. I mean, I wrote a product manifesto, I think maybe two years in, and I busted out the other day. And that was one of, that was one of the top things in there was like sustainable, you know, delivery, right? Mm -hmm. How can we continuously deliver sustainably? Like, how do we just keep on trucking, keep making the product better and do it in a way that nobody burns out. Um, and whatever, I mean, we've, you know, it's been ups and downs. We've screwed that up a couple of times, but uh, I think we're, we're, we're doing pretty well right now. Awesome. But I think questions like, you know, kind of like directed at the person that works that you're interviewing with around what do they do? What does their day look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your favorite things about working here? Or what are your least favorite things about working here? Those sorts of questions can kind of give you a much better feel, I think, for what, what you're getting yourself into mm-hmm. um, than, you know, just kind of sitting there and, and taking questions. So, Well, and it's got to be true because if they ask all those questions, they get answers, then they get there and it's all BS. Right. They're out. <laughs> I mean, right. he's right. out. Like... Right. You have to represent yourself honestly. You know, most of the time, right? You're going to interview with two or three or five or twelve people, right? And yeah. so, if you ask those questions over and over and over, you're going to find a pattern, right? It might right. not be the same from person to person, but you're going to be like, okay, I see the the string of, of constant across all these things, you know. And uh, one of the things is, I'm a huge, I'm 
it's huge into the whole company culture thing and company values. And I think, oh, God, I love that. And I think that there's, you know, a lot of times it's like what people say and what they do aren't really necessarily the same thing, but when they are, it's like really awesome. So, you know, I mean, you should like, like, I mean, if I was doing it, if I was really interviewing, I would be like, okay, I'm going to go so figure out what, you know, they're going to tell me what their values are on their website. Right. And then I'm going to poke at people throughout the interview process to see how well this holds up. Right. And if it's, when those things are aligned, when culture that's set or basically explained from, you know, mm-hmm. that's written down, matches what people do day to day and act day to day, there's, something, it's magical, magical things happen, right? And I want to work in a company where magical things happen. So that's, you know, that would be at the top of my list of, you know, things to like dig into. Totally. It's my favorite thing of like, oh, so you say open communications, your number one value. How do you, you see that in day-to-day life here? (laughs) But if it's true, I mean, values are wonderful on paper. They all look so phenomenal. That's what we always tell people to do. You read these fabulous values on the website and they all look amazing. And we all want to work at every company, but you then go into interview and you say, so how does that open communication value, how do you live that every day? And if the person starts stammering and stuttering or (laughs) it takes them a long time, well, you know that that value is just on paper and isn't in real life. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a true test. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, especially if, you know, like our company, if one of our values, our, one of our values is integrity, right? And if one of their values is integrity, then you're like, hmm. So your one of your values is integrity, but you're not even holding to your other values. Like, okay, there's, you know, and you know, there's going to be structural, political issues at a company like that. It's sure. just, it's inevitable, right? Just, sure. Yeah. Because there's people. people aren't on, <laughs> yes. And it's, I mean, even when all that stuff is perfect and it's aligned and everybody, it, it's still hard to get everybody going in the same direction. Yep. And when that stuff's off, it's like, whatever forget it I, I love I, I love that the, I love that you see the importance of that though because I can't tell you how many leaders I work with and you know one of the first questions I'll ask them well you know tell me about the work that the company that you did at the front end with vision and mission mm-hmm. and right. uh you know it, so so many people have not done that and right. when it's done and it's done well and people actually align with it you're right magical things happen the energy is amazing and the values can actually be kind of like guidepost, right? Right. They can guide employees on how to, how to behave. And if they're not there, it's, there's so much missing. So, um, Liz and I are big fans of that. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as the founding team or the upper management or whatever you want to call it, we're not there every day sitting by everybody while they make every single decision. Right. Mm -hmm. So what that does with the culture, the values and all that sort of structure vision does is it gives people framework to make decisions in their daily that, help move us all in the same direction. Yes. That's it. Without it, I don't, it's gotta be chaos. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's chaos. I, I, we sold one company and I had to go work for the company we sold to. And oh my God, it was a disaster. <laughs> disaster. And I think what startup founders sometimes do also is they write the values. Mm-hmm. They do they the work, but they don't. Them, yeah. And then they stay in a dock in a folder. Yep. Right. <laughs> and they forget to share it with the people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And so it stay, it doesn't mean like they have the values in their heart. Right. And they right. may but, even be living them, but because they haven't shared them, nobody else is on the same page. Right, right. If you do it well, I think you can well, so I will I'll tell you our story. So we we did it, we wrote them down and we shared them with everybody. And then, you know, we just kind of let it slide for a few years, like six. 
And, uh-huh. you know, and it's one of those things like, so with, without sort of anybody being involved, this group of people were working on the company handbook and they decided to come up with the values. And so they call me in and they're like done-ish. And they're like, we got uh-huh. these values. We need help. And I was like, I looked at them and I'm like, where did you find these? <laughs> like, well, we surveyed everyone and asked what we what they thought that our values were at scale. This is what we came up with. And, you know, I mean, it was a big list and we shrunk it down, but we shrunk it down. And I was like, God, that's it. Like, you guys got, you nail it. Like the, the values are working and they're here and everybody knows what they are. Like, that's amazing. I mean, it just, blew mm-hmm. that was a fun exercise. Like, I love that. I, I, they're both, both aspects are so important. And I don't think enough leaders really realize the importance. The good ones do. Yeah. What do they worry about? I mean, <laughs> this is what I worry about. Like, if you're a leader and you're not worrying about that stuff, are you, mm-hmm. are you, what are you, what are you worried about? I don't know. I don't know. Product and sales. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you got to do that too. But I mean, that's, that's a, that's, that's. But okay. don't those come from your people? Yeah, that's, that's their job. My job is to set up the framework so they can kick ass and that, so right. I can tell them what to do. Bingo. So, you're making scale sound pretty awesome. So how would a potential employee approach you about coming and how would they stand out and how would they like let you know that they're a fit? I mean, you know, you can straight up hit me up on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find. There's only one Scott Lockmiller. Um, if you Google me, the guy with the pink hair, that's me. Yep. You know, the other thing is, I mean, you can apply on the website and all the normal stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're listening to this, just email me. Yeah, or send it to Scott us. at scalecomputing.com. That's it. It's I'm one of the founders, so there's. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. Uh, it's of really course. been a great conversation. I had a blast. I really did. That was fun. Yeah. We kind of just talked about how people can find you, but if people are wanting to kind of follow your journey or, or hear more of your musings, uh, you said on LinkedIn. Anywhere yeah. else uh, that you are out there. I'm not. I'm. I've. I've been. I've had on my list for like five years. Like start blogging, and then nothing happens. So no, I don't tweet or I post anything on Facebook. Even I. I do nothing. I got. I know it's awful. It's awful. well. You have. You have and, so much to offer from a from a leadership <laughs> perspective. Really, like you know. You know. We talked for a few minutes. I was like, I gotta. I gotta bring this guy on. So, you know, you could always do, you could always do a post on LinkedIn if you were inspired. I'm sure people would uh, be interested in it. I know I yeah, would be. I will, I, will, uh, I will take that as a little more motivation to try to, <laughs> to get my butt in gear and do something. But, uh, you know, I have a five and a seven-year-old and a job. Yeah, and you're, busy. And, you know, you're busy. You're busy. You're happens, juggling just a few things. Social's <laughs> distracting. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a pleasure and we've learned so much and... Thanks. We hope you come back again. Yeah, I would love to. Like I said, I had a blast and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. 
And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>